Annyeong, welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me today, I am joined by two guests. First of all, I have Brian Flynn. Hello, Brian. Hello. And I have Zach Powers. Hello, Zach. Hi. If you listen to other podcasts, you may recognize both of those names because they are uh, together, the revisionists. Uh, They have a podcast together. I don't know which one of you wants to explain what the premise of that podcast is. Uh, I'll take it. Each episode, we take a topic from history. One host presents the official version of events, and another host comes up with an alternate history, and whichever version we like more, we accept as truth going forward. Today we're covering episode three of season two, Amigos. Uh, It was broadcast on the 21st of November, 2004. It was written by Brad Copeland, um, who is a writer I have spoken about a couple of times before now. Um, I I think he he wrote... um, uh, two Job-centric episodes in mm-hmm. the first season. He wrote Key Decisions and Storming the Castle. Um, and I would say this is sort of a Job-centric episode. Uh, the title itself, Amigos, I think is a reference to the fact that Job has no friends. Uh, I think <laughs> it's a double reference, right? Because the two before yeah. this were references to the television show Friends, which I think had just gone off yes. the air at the time. And then this one kind of yep. continues that tradition by bit, literally being friends in Spanish. Oh, I just got that. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It's only taken 12 years, but finally Brian <laughs> understands the title of this episode. Uh, don't worry, that's that's happened but, to a number of people. I mean, it also references uh, the fact that they go to Mexico, obviously. Once we get to the Mexico part, we can talk about what Mexico actually is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's directed by Lee Shalit Jemel, who um, has directed... Uh, a few episodes in the first season and this is her final episode final of five episodes that she directs she directed the first episode of this season um, and then this is it no more from her so I won't have to figure out how to actually say her name uh, in any future episodes Uh, so I'm going to give you the summary as I found it on the internet movie database and it goes as follows Michael gets a lead that his father has fled to Mexico and takes along a group to retrieve him. In the meantime, he tries to connect with George Michael's girlfriend, Anne, and Buster tries to escape going off to the army by stowing away. Mm. And I think that's a fairly good summary of uh, of the plot. Um, and I just wanted to ask both of you, and I'll start with uh, Zach first. Uh, when did you start watching Arrested Development? Did you watch it while it was on the air, or did you catch up with it on DVD, or uh, were you a latecomer and you got to it through Netflix? My first exposure to it was when I saw, I think it was the second episode, the There's Always Money in the Banana Stand episode. Um, when it aired, I actually saw that, and uh, I feel like I had a somewhat of an interest in it, but I didn't keep up with it. And intermittently for the next year or two, whenever I saw an episode, it was always that episode. I saw it on a plane <laughs> once, I think, and I saw it rerun a couple of times. And then eventually, probably around the time the third season was starting, I picked up the DVDs for the first season, maybe the first two seasons, and I was watching in real time for uh, for the last the last, for season three, uh, at least. Yeah. I, I used to have friends over to my house a lot, and we would watch it in my basement because it was still relatively unknown at the time. Which is actually how I came to the show. Um, okay. Yeah, Zach and I, were uh, we were friends in high school, and the first episode I saw was in Zach's basement, and that was, I believe, 210, Ready, Aim, Marry Me. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> 
which is a great episode that I love, uh, which it kind of prepared me for the tone of the rest of the show, even though it's kind of a little a little more broad, perhaps. I mean, it's kind of a little bit self-contained because the whole story about um, Uncle Jack and all that kind of stuff is... yeah. It's just kind of like its own thing, and there's no reference before, and there's no reference after. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. So, yeah. It's a very weird character, uh, <laughs> Uncle Jack. He's unlike anything else in the show, but I guess that's not for us to discuss. But yeah, so let's get into um, this episode. We start, of course, with possibly my favorite thing in the show, which is Michael and Job, and kind of uh, you know how they interact as brothers. Job is currently president. Um, and he's trying to put up a picture that, you know, says don't be afraid to make mistakes, and he can't get it to stay up. It, it just falls off the wall, and he's like, I'm not going to beat myself up over that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I just love how his, his, own, like, his own advice to, like, not be afraid of making mistakes, he immediately makes a mistake, and he wasn't afraid to make it. So. I believe Michael's response to that is something along the lines of, Oh, it works. Basic. Just like a very classic <laughs> yeah. Michael. Michael has written a message from the president, uh, because obviously he's really doing the job of president. <laughs> Job has merely got the yeah. title. Um, something which will be a, a kind of running storyline for at least another couple of episodes. Um, and um, Starla is making copies. And of course, um, you know, Michael says, <laughs> I'm not sure that hiring her wasn't a mistake. And Job says, I'm not afraid to make mistakes. Or have you forgotten this little? And then he kicks the, the poster to kind of... <laughs> point to it and immediately smashes and he's like damn it <laughs> and I love how he compliments himself by saying my legs are so powerful <laughs> and then we get this really weird joke um, about how Job can't say the word circumvent um, where he, he starts reading it and he says yes well we should circumvent union penalties he keeps saying circumvent and he keeps going circumvent and he he keeps adding letters into this, and um, I love how when Michael explains it and says it means to go around, uh, Job goes, the old reach around, <laughs> which is not really the context of that word, but, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I would, I'll just say up front, actually, before we get too deep into it, that um, I consider this episode and the one that follows it to be my two favorite episodes of the entire show. And thus mm. the be- the strongest back to back episode pairing the show ever did. I think I think the one that follows it gets a lot more love, generally speaking. But I think Amigos is just as good uh, as Good Grief, or almost as good, perhaps. Yeah, I, I mean, Good Grief has the line about you know um, George Michael saying, "I'll I'll I'll be bringing you those salmon rolls in heaven," yeah. and, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> such a a weird. You know, and when he, when, yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about that episode, but yeah, I, I think this is a really, I mean, I, I enjoy the, the kind of the first two episodes of this season, but they are very much kind of like getting people back up to speed mm-hmm. and following the Emmy win. It does feel a little bit like trying to introduce the characters to any new, like, new viewers. Right. Yeah. So this does kind of feel like the first time where they just kind of get to do a story where the family. Um, just to kind of show how crazy they are. Absolutely, yeah. Starting with this this whole circumvent um, thing, <laughs> um, and of course when when um, Starla brings in the um, you know the the copies, she's she's done them on photo paper, which is 
Again, this is a, a weird little running joke that they put in this episode about Starlet not understanding how Michael wants things copied. And um, so he's got these little tiny booklets. Um, <laughs> and of course, you know, when, when, when Starla says, you know, that he wanted them photocopies, she thought she meant on the photo printer. And of course, Michael Crookson says, from now on, we're just going to use the big printer. And um, in the previous episode, Starla was quite normal, you know, aside from using flirtation to get Job to buy the seaweed. Um, and then becoming the, you know, the business model and all, all that kind of storyline. Um, she was fairly normal, and the only kind of strange thing was that Job kept kind of trying to flirt with her, but somehow missing a little bit and kind of ended, <laughs> ended up with a secretary uh, who clearly didn't want to have anything else to do with him. Um, but here she says flashes of Quincy, and then we get a quick headshot of Quincy Jones... <laughs> And the narrator simply says, Starla claimed to have had a relationship with music legend Quincy Jones. And it's such an <laughs> odd character trait that, that she had an affair with Quincy Jones. I, I, like, I don't know, it's such, it's, such a, it's such a weird thing for them to put in. But I just love, I love how quickly as well they, they put the photo up and there's a little tiny, I don't think it happens this time, but... In future episodes, when Quincy Jones appears, there's like a little musical sting that sounds like some Quincy Jones music, basically. Um, and that becomes like an extra detail that they add. But um, yeah, I, I do. I do. I just I love that kind of weird detail that they, they, they give Starla. Like she's literally only been in two episodes and already they're kind of starting to give her a backstory that as a viewer, you're like, who is this person? How I, is, what is she doing exactly? I have to confess that uh, Starla is a character, when I think about the show, that I probably virtually always forget about. Mm-hmm. She's only in a handful of episodes, and I feel like she exits kind of suddenly and without much ado. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose in the first episode, she appears that she is fairly normal, which is unusual for this show. The only other character... I can think of who's really prominently featured in an episode, or characters, I guess, are Anne's parents remain fairly normal for the entire time that they're on the show, which is only, I think, one episode, which is especially strange. Oh, they, re- they return in season four. Oh, that's Anne's right. Anne's parents do. Oh, but, yeah. And then and the, the title of the TV show that Pastor Veal hosts is easily the like longest and strangest joke that the show decides to do, Yeah, uh, where everyone says the full title every single time. Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing is obviously uh, season two comes no news to anyone listening to this. Uh, it, it was going to be four episodes longer. This, you know, and I feel a few storylines got cut back, and I have a feeling that Starla's exit probably was one of those that probably would have been given a bit more space if they knew they had more episodes um at the end as it is you know she's in five episodes after sword of destiny she does kind of vanish yeah. you have buster as well trying to escape from her climbing out of the bathroom window which <laughs> um, is kind of such a a weird way for because that's kind of the last that you hear of her character is is him es- escaping from her yeah that is um, that is my favorite sequence in the whole series. <laughs> Actually, that and one in Ready A Marry Me that involves Buster using his army training. <laughs> yeah, uh, he do- he does kind of love to. Uh... It's weird how reluctant he is to get into the army. He <laughs> does end up getting quite well trained, um, but then of course uh, Michael says um, 
Uh, I'm going to look into some Legoland tickets for the weekend. And of course, Joe goes, cool, let's do it. And I love that he he thinks that Michael, like him and Michael, two grown men, would go to Legoland together. like Just on the weekend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess when they were younger, it would kind of make sense, but I don't know. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a funny little thing, especially that you know when he he says that he's going to take George Michael. Job goes, isn't he a little old for that? <laughs> Which I just, I just kind of like. And then, of course, this is where we get the the running gag about Job and having no friends, where he says, "I'll just call up some of my friends," and of course, Michael just kind of laughs in his face. <laughs> Which is a bit cruel, you know. If Job's got no friends, don't rub it in his face. Uh, Job then appears in Michael's office and he just says I think the plant lady's wearing a thong (laughs) which is just such a a a strange way to bring up a a topic of conversation but that's Job for you he literally has no focus and he uh, he just kind of (laughs) seems a little desperate to talk to people in this episode a little desperate to kind of find some kind of comfort and then of course this is where Lucille and I don't know one of my favourite one-off characters appear (laughs) Um, yeah. But first of all, we get we get Lucille, and um, you know she says that she she got a call from Jean Parmesan. Uh, he said he found something big, and Michael's like, "We have a private eye," and of course she's like, "Oh, I hired him a hundred years ago to find out if your father was cheating on me. He never did find anything." And of course Michael goes, "Well, he can't be very good then." <laughs> and there's a brief pause where Lucille kind of looks at him. Now I I don't believe that Lucille doesn't know that. George cheated on her because there's been there was an episode where she was cataloging stuff with maybe and she talks about all the different mm-hmm. reasons why she got jewelry and they're basically all because George senior cheated on with someone and forgot that he wasn't with Lucille at the time and then kind of said their name and so I, I feel like she knows but I don't know I guess for the sake of having Jean Parmesan being a terrible detective I guess I can live with it and I can also totally see Lucille, despite knowing the fact that George Sr. has cheated on her multiple times, taking the confirmation that he wasn't doing it just once as, like, a very positive thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, in comes Jean Parmesan, dressed uh, in one of his many disguises. His advert in the paper shows him in, in many disguises, uh, which is kind of pointless because Martin Mull has quite a heavy beard for this role, so any disguise is just him in a beard but wearing like a well, hat or something. But my, Well, Jude Parmesan is one of my favorite short-lived Arrested Development characters. So I th- he comes back in season four, doesn't he? A little bit. <laughs> I just love the recall of this private investigator who has all these costumes... And the primary things he, the only thing we ever see him use the costumes for is to trick the people who are hiring him <laughs> and not to actually get any information on the task at hand. <laughs> and I love how he puts on like this weird Italian accent, like no one's going to notice. <laughs> even even later when he's dressed as, I, I guess, uh, a Mexican villager, he has a distinctly <laughs> Italian <laughs> <Yeah>. accent. <laughs> <laughs> that's his only go-to but i love how when he says uh it's private detective jean parmesan how you doing and lucille's kind of like squeal of delight which she does every single time mm-hmm. he receive, receive he reveals himself and he does it like four times in this episode and every single time jessica walters just nails this kind of like girlish squeal <laughs> 
does it either. Yeah. And she's like super excited that she's been fooled by this really terrible private detective. Yeah, especially um, later when she sees a guy, sees him at the door with the bear costume. <laughs> and she specifically yeah. asks if it's if it's him. And he says yeah. no before revealing himself. I also love in that scene that he is incredibly sweaty. <laughs> He's drenched. <laughs> didn't even, he didn't even really need a disguise. Um, but yeah, here she says, isn't he the best? And the narrator immediately, as he likes to do, corrects people and says, Gene was far from the best. And of course, Michael gives a very sarcastic, very impressive. Again, he, like, again Gene Parmesan does have this weird tactic of like, you know, he tells... <laughs> I like how he says... Uh, the country you get for free. The city that's going to cost you. <laughs> you know, the country is Mexico, so you know that's that's. It seems quite obvious. Being in in Orange County, if he was going to flee anywhere, it would be over the border. So he's not really telling them very much. Um, and then obviously he goes to you know he lights up uh, a cigarette and that sets off the fire alarm. And obviously we immediately we Gilligan cut outside and. The fireman's like, that's a $200 fine. Um, and Gene is like, you know, the car's in a town called Encanta. If you think that's worth more than 200 I really appreciate it. And then, of course, you know, Michael hands him the thing and he's like, he hands him some money and he's like, I'm not even going to count it. And, and off he goes. And, you know, you think, well, we've seen the last of Gene Parmesan now that he's revealed this information. Uh, but he definitely hasn't. Um, and then, of course, we find out that Lucille is throwing Buster a going-away party. And this and, um, this party, I, I don't know if it's in the scene, might be a little later in the episode, is the introduction of one of my favorite subtle jokes in the entire show, which is the, the reuse banners. of this particular banner that says, <laughs> yeah. you're killing me, Buster. But later she just puts pieces of paper over parts of it, so it says... Welcome home, Buster, but the me and Buster are the same, or you're kidding me, Buster, in a later episode. Uh, yeah. I love this banner more than any other banner in the show. I mean, family love banner, um, <laughs> I believe is, is what they say. But uh, Lucille, um, <laughs> you know, she says, You know, he's doing it just to spite me. And Michael says, then why are you throwing him a party? And she goes, just to spite him. And he says, you guys have such a healthy thing going. Which, of course, we all know this far into the season, this far into the show, they don't have a healthy relationship. Um, you know, and obviously Michael agrees to go to um, the party because he wants to take his son to Mexico because he hasn't been able to spend any quality time with George Michael because George Michael's been spending all his time with Anne, <laughs> who Michael does not like. Uh, which is something that we'll find out towards the end of this episode, that even after he spent time with Anne. I love how the, we get a second Jean Parmesan reveal when Michael says the stair car is in Mexico. Uh, Mom's PI found it. And Joe goes, Jean Parmesan? And Jean Parmesan, dressed as a fireman, immediately turns around and goes right here. And, of course, Lucille squeals once more. Uh, and, of course, he goes, I counted. Come on, man. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think anything in the series gets as much excitement or pure joy from Lucille as Jean Parmesan does in this episode. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a really big fan of him, despite the fact that he's kind of just ripping them off, basically. <laughs> but that's um, although he does it in inventive ways. So I mean, granted, one, I'm sure that's part of the reason why he continues to hire her on him on a regular basis. <laughs> but the family is not good at choosing 
who they're going to employ. Like, they have Barry Zuckercorn as their lawyer for the vast majority of the show. Well, I mean, as flashbacks in season four revealed, they've had him as a lawyer for, like, a long time. Years. Yeah. Yeah, a long, since before the kids were born, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, Job, he, when, when he tries to get around Lucille, he goes, uh, let me just circumvent you um, <laughs> as he leaves, as he leaves the office uh, just before Gene appears. Um, and then here he calls up Ice, the uh, bounty hunter, and he says, I think I might have someone who's going to circumvent the law. And I love how he's learnt this word and he keeps using it, but he doesn't even know how to say it correctly. It's just like a really weird... Uh, like Job trait um, to do that. Um, and Ice will be played by uh, Malik Yoba, who I guess, if the show is a success, you can see on Designated Survivor with Kiefer Sutherland uh, <laughs> Wednesdays on ABC. Uh, that's his most recent thing, but his most famous thing um, was uh, Cool Runnings, uh, where he was one of the bobsledders. Um, and he was actually uh, Bob's. His the, the character name for his bobsledder was, and I've never seen Cool Runnings, so I'm going to assume this is a little bit of a joke for, to something. His name is Yul Brenner. Um, uh, I don't know. I think I haven't seen it since I was a child, so yeah. I can't. I can't provide much insight. <laughs> I don't think that's a movie anyone's watched in the last ten years. But yeah, so that was like his biggest role. Um, and then you know he's done a lot of TV since. Um, he's done a lot of kind of like guest star stuff. Uh, I think like kind of most recently would have been on Empire last year. So I guess a lot of people would have seen that. Beans as that was the number one show of last season. Um, where he played Vernon Turner. I cannot say I recall the character. Having seen every episode of Empire, I have no idea what happened on any episode of Empire. It just falls straight <laughs> out of my head. Um, people yell at each other and then the show is over. Um, but yeah, he's I I really love Ice because, um, you know, he's kind of competent in a way that normally you don't see from anyone who is employed by the Blues, <laughs> um, you know. But he's also easily thrown off the trail, uh, as we'll find out later on in the episode by Lindsay, <laughs> um, who once again, um, you know, <laughs> she goes after someone who's it's so like Tobias, it's crazy. Um, we get our second occurrence of the her from Michael um, <laughs> when when they you know he tells George Michael about going down to Mexico and they show this photo and um, he goes you took this picture of us in front of the bagel place before it burned down <laughs> and, it, and Michael's <laughs> like oh I guess I thought she was with another family and the photo is really like kind of funny because Anne doesn't really seem to be near George Michael as a like boyfriend girlfriend thing, and of course he says she's kind of my girlfriend, <laughs> and Michael's like her. Um, and then obviously this is where we get him saying, you know, like um, I don't know her. It's like you spend all your time with her. It's like you're hogging her. You're a little Anne hog, okay? <laughs> it's like don't be such a little Anne hog. And I love how that sets up a joke that pays off like a, a, quite quickly. Um, and then, of course, we see uh, Tobias, who has been applying blue makeup to his face. And uh, it's now 8.01 and the curtain has risen. And um, Michael asks if uh, Tobias can come down to Mexico with them. And um, he says, I have two shows tomorrow that I'm on standby for the Blue Man Group. Might as well keep this makeup on since it takes so f- long to get off. And the thing is, he he hasn't actually got any job with them. 
He's not. He's not a standby. He's not nothing. He he did the audition. They never got back to him. So he's just kind of doing this to himself for no reason. Really, <laughs> um, he's just putting blue makeup on himself like for all for all day, and there's no real purpose. Uh, but I do like his commitment to the to the part, and I do think that the yeah. um, the whole blue man thing is a funny joke. That he waits patiently until eight oh one, as though they would call him <laughs> literally seconds before the curtain was going to arrive to come down to the theater. Yeah, they might. You don't know. Something might happen to one of them minutes before. They might need him. Sure. It's funny actually because in the last two episodes we haven't seen Tobias not in blue makeup and i don't think we see him out of blue makeup in this episode either yeah he's not in it basically so yeah he's only in a couple of scenes in this episode but he's in the last like two episodes he's always been in blue makeup and he's always in blue makeup in this episode and of course any time that we're in the model home this season there is always a shot somewhere of a blue handprint um, on one of the walls and then for some reason maybe who wasn't 100% behind the open relationship in the last episode is now 100% on the open relationship in this episode um, you know encouraging her parents to keep keep up pursuing it uh, and obviously Lindsay uh, you know decides that she can come along to Mexico um, and this is where we get the debut of another like running joke uh, where we find you know that Michael doesn't want to take Joe down to Mexico for a very specific reason. Uh, and we we see a Mexican teenager say... Chicklet! Chicklet! And Job says... You're the chicklet, not me! And then he starts doing the uh, chicken dance. Um, <laughs> of course, uh, we we get then a, a, a quick flashback in black and white uh, where the narrator explains... Unfortunately, in Mexican culture, this was a much more inflammatory gesture. <laughs> Apparently it means you dance like a homosexual, which is a an odd thing. And it's worth pointing out that in the flashback, of course, uh, you have the three blues boys uh, dressed up in <laughs> in kind of uh, Mexican costume. I'm going to say, yeah, with big mustaches and in kind of in in black and white. Uh, Lindsay says that she wants to bring maybe because she she senses that she's been feeling a little left out lately, uh, which I think is kind of true of the character and also true of the actress because she hasn't really been in the last two episodes that much. And <laughs> towards the end of season one, she kind of wasn't in a lot of episodes. She kind of had little scenes here and there. Um, so I feel like that's just something from the writer's room where they're kind of like, we need more maybe, basically. Uh, which I think is true because Alia Shawkat is great. And then at the party, Lucille... <laughs> Making a reference that I feel these days might f- seem a little dated. I'm, I'm not sure that everyone will get the um, the Abu Ghraib like reference. Like twelve years later, it just it feels kind of very specifically it's, kind of 2004. Well, the, it, it, it's a thing that I was a lot with the show is that it's so 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 Bush era. This show that it that it I don't know <laughs> it it does obviously didn't feel like it when I was watching it for the first time, but it, it really does feel so of its time now watching it over a decade later. But I, I you know, Lucille gives a, gives a camcorder to Buster saying, that's so you can videotape it when they put you in a naked pyramid and point to your Charlie Browns. <laughs> uh, which of course leads Buster to go, I ought to point to Oscar, Uncle Oscar's Charlie Browns next time you're on top of him, mother. Oscar has this weird little, this weird little uh, musical sting that plays whenever he talks about um, Buster's uh, paternity. 
and he, you know, he, he, Lucille's like, uh, see how he treats me just because he thinks he's having, I'm having an affair with the boy's uncle. And of course, Oscar says, yes, and she's not having an affair with the boy's uncle. Um, I I said this before in the previous two episodes, but I'll restate it here. I love Jeffrey Tambor playing Oscar because I think he defined George Sr. so specifically in season one, um, Mm -hmm. even including the religious conversion stuff, that he can play this character who is nothing like George Sr. And it's not just like the wig, even if he didn't have the hair. um, he, He like specifically embodies kind of like this weird hippie ideal that Oscar seems to have hung on to um, and kind of the gentler side of him. Um, and of course, the the whole thing with, uh, you know, Lucille and I think I think just Jeffrey Tambor and, Je- and Jessica Walters work so well together that it's almost it's almost amazing how long it took them to put Oscar into the show yeah, right. so it's, they could have a lot more of that interaction. Later, it gets kind of even more, I don't know. I think I think he does an excellent job of also... On the occasions where he is, say, George Sr. pretending to be Oscar, George Sr.'s perception of Oscar <laughs> is just another layer onto it that I think Jeffrey Tambor, I mean, rightly so, he gets a lot of praise for being, I haven't really seen Transparent, but uh, like the Larry Sanders show and this, I mean, Jeffrey Tambor is yeah. delightful. As an actor, the stuff that he did in uh, Larry Sanders was amazing. Like, he was so good as Hank Kingsley. And that character was so like specific, so you know, like a, a, a late night talk show sidekick who's kind of desperate for a bit more of the limelight. Like that character is so well defined and so well written, and he embodied it so well that when Arrested Development started, you know, my love of Larry Sanders was one of the things that drew me to this show because I was like, oh well, if it's got that guy and Larry Sanders in, you know, let's let's watch it to see how good it is. And George Sr. is so completely different. And it's like, it's so rare that you manage to get actors who have like two kind of defining roles like this. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he's gone on to do one more. So <laughs> he's such a good actor. And I, I think, I think that's, I think, you know, the show is kind of almost spoiled by the talent that they have. Um, but I just, I love the fact that they managed to find a way to have him with Jessica Walters because. You know, obviously with George Senior, a lot of it was in the prison. You know, there were occasional scenes where they were together, but there was never really any kind of sustained time. And I like that they've managed to put him in here, especially is because essentially his character has disappeared. Right. So it's it's kind of funny that they can have it. And, and to me, it always feels I like I always think, oh well, of course George Senior is not in the episode. Jeffrey Tambor is not in it, but of course he's in there as Oscar because. <laughs> You know that's how distinct I think of those those two characters. This is where we see the um, <laughs> the big picture of um, George Senior, which is done on blueprint paper. Which of course <laughs> that will pay off as two different jokes later on. But I just I just love <laughs> Starla has completely misunderstood yet again. Um, you know, and then obviously Lindsay spies ice on the couch. Um, and Job says, he's my friend. And obviously, <laughs> Lindsay goes, you don't have friends. <laughs> so that's yet another uh, blue sibling kind of rubbing it in his face. Um, and then we get possibly one of the stupidest jokes, but I just love it so much when Michael moves and Ice goes, he's moving, over the walkie, and then immediately comes out of 
uh, Job's walkie like straight away. He's moving. <laughs> and it's like a half second and it's just such, <laughs> so well done because it's such a dumb thing. I love how sensible Ice is as well, but like you didn't need to use the walkie. And then of course, when Joe, when when George Michael says fun party, uh, Michael's like, no, no, it isn't. <laughs> uh, also, the other thing that we'll get touched on more uh, in subsequent episodes is Ice's second career and uh, true passion as being a party planner. <laughs> and just like it's the same thing as Starla, where they start out as sort of very well, not very, but more grounded characters than anyone else in the show. And then they keep getting yeah. layers added onto them. And then obviously George Michael's like, let me grab Anne quick. And then of course, <laughs> Michael's like, what, Anne's here? And then obviously, you know, he goes, you said I was being an Anne hog. And then Michael does what he always does whenever he refers to Anne, which is he'll use the nickname, uh, like he said in the previous episode when he said Egg. Um, and George Michael corrects him while he's talking, but he never hears it. Uh, so when he says Anne hogs come in, <laughs> George Michael goes, it's just Anne. But he just keeps on talking. Um, And I love how he says, just load her up in the car. (laughs) Um, This is where Lucille screams uh, to Lupe that that sweater's not a take home. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which is funny because obviously Lupe's trademark is wearing out of season sweaters. Um, So obviously some sweaters are a take home. Uh, And Michael says... uh, you know, I'm going to have to start putting people in the trunk. Uh, and Buster has already made the choice to flee to Mexico by getting in the trunk of the car. Um, and there is a cutscene that has about 20 seconds more of um, Buster in the trunk. And he eats some bouillon cubes and then spits them out. And then that's it. <laughs> And I don't, I don't know why they cut it out the episode because it's, it's just a silly little joke, but uh, they did. I suppose it's probably for the purpose of highlighting how quickly he immediately turns to, to sleep <laughs> uh, upon being in that dark space. I actually, this particular line that he has where he's giving this speech mm. about why he decided to leave and then very suddenly <laughs> pivots and just says, Oh man, it's tired in here. Um, (laughs) it's tired in here is something I think in my head on a regular basis (laughs) when I am tired like I honestly think that exact line whenever I'm like really sleepy and and just ready for bed uh, probably at least once a week my girlfriend and I say that again like once twice a week six minutes later Michael dropped off his mother's housekeeper and of course Buster wakes up when the car stops Climbs out of the trunk and says Mexico. And um, the narrator says, in fact, he was in Santa Ana, a town six minutes inland from his own. But the combination of losing his glasses and breathing carbon monoxide had impaired Buster's judgment. And I love how Tony Hale says, This shall keep me safe from the hot Mexican sun. (laughs) And then, of, of course... He puts on this really weird accent when he starts saying, I'm just, I'm trying to find a place to live. And of course, uh, Lupe, I believe, calls Buster a retard. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so there, the, the subtitle says, now I have to take care of Buster. But the last word she yeah. says is plainly is retardo. Retardo, <laughs> um, yeah. Which is, um, yeah, something that is also, I think, a joke that is kind of like, 
with the way that people are a little bit more conscientious about that, and maybe even the dance like a homosexual, but probably to a lesser degree, more this one. Yeah. Uh, is a joke I don't know if they would have made if they had released that in 2016. I, I guess, I think the thing is, because the subtitles just says Buster, I guess it's just a joke for people who can understand Spanish. Well, I mean, it's um, an almost, the, the word sounds exactly, almost exactly the same in well, English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you, you could you could understand people just not, not really hearing it. Yeah. yeah, I guess it probably wouldn't have been... I guess they probably would have just said Buster if it was 2016. And then, obviously, uh, Michael, for some reason, is very petulant about Anne coming along. Um, and as he's as he's saying something, you know, Michael's, uh, George Michael's like, what was that? And Michael's like, nothing, we're not whispering secrets up here. <laughs> Such a, a weird... And then, of course, you know, the, the groundwork of being an Anhog is paid off when Lindsay says, who's on that hog in the rearview mirror? And Michael screams, George Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when he's, when he kind of, when Michael, when George Michael wonders what he's talking about, he just goes, 20 miles to Legoland. <laughs> Which, you know, they're not going to Legoland, so I don't know why that would be particularly worth noting. Uh, but I love how Ice immediately says, uh, still on his tail, we're about 20 minutes from Legoland. <laughs> so even the bounty hunter is using Legoland as a marker for where they are. And then, of course, Job says, go get him, friend. <laughs> you hear Ice very angrily over the walkie-talkie say, You're not my friend, you're a client! Even Ice is kind of just rubbing it in Job's face. Which, of course, uh, leads Job to realise he doesn't have any friends. You know, Lucille is looking around for uh, for Buster. Um, because, you know, Oscar is leaving. And finding out that he's snuck into Mexico, um, Oscar decides to unpack. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, Lucille says, possibly one of the most infamous lines from this show... To Anyong. Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. <laughs> um, which, which I really like. Um, yeah. Of course, the reference to Star Wars is probably only because at the time Fox owned the franchise, so they can kind of get away with promoting their own franchise. But I feel the joke still works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, when Job does turn up, Lucille is very suspicious. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I love the visual of her peering out the door at him as she slowly closes it. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of my favorite visual jokes in maybe the whole run of the show. That's easily yeah. one of the most where, gift moments of yeah. the of the show. Where where he's he's like um, you know, uh I thought we could just hang out. <laughs> then she very slowly closes the door. And of course Lucille is, you know, the narrator tells us Lucille was suspicious that Job was up to some sort of power grab, which um knowing that Lucille does not care for Job, I don't know why um you know, he he went to her I guess, I mean, the last time he went to her was after he he broke up with Marta and he woke her up by singing Cold of Ice, uh, Cold as Ice, sorry, in, in, on the piano very loudly. Um, but they seem to have a bit more of a friendly relationship in that episode. Um, they bonded over their mutual dislike of immigrants, basically. Um, but in this one, they don't seem to have that in common anymore. Um, and, of course, this is where... Um, Lucille calls in Jean, and I don't know why he is already in the costume. And while she's while she's explaining what what she wants Jean to investigate, there's a knock on the door, and she says it's just some idiot with balloons. And then of course he pulls off the head and goes, "Oh, is it?" And 
this is probably my favorite kind of girlish squeal that she lets out because she lets it out for a very specific amount of time and then instantly stops mm-hmm. and goes, I want you to keep uh, an eye on my son, Job. And the way she stops the squeal just so quickly, it's just perfect. Um, and then, of, co- of course, Buster <laughs> is now wandering around Lupe's house seeing all the take-home sweaters and take-home hand chairs. <laughs> the narrator, every single time Buster asks a question, the narrator answers it uh, by basically saying the obvious. Uh, like when he says, and the hand chair, I had one in my room. I wonder where it went. And the narrator simply goes, it went right there. <laughs> uh, and of course, Buster does some foreshadowing for us where he says, Well, I never thought I'd miss a hand so much. <laughs> uh, at this point, it is deliberate foreshadowing. <laughs> Once Michael arrives in Mexico, um, we we find... We find... Um, like he shows the the blueprint of George Senior, and the, the the like the guy who sees it he goes oh yeah sure Senior no problem when do you want us to start building <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> just, I just a quick note because I did watch this uh, with a few people uh, while we kind of uh, made fun of it a little bit uh the christian mingle movie uh there yes. is a mexican village in that and it is definitely the exact same set <laughs> that they no use in this yeah it so. is it is the exact same location it yeah. is it's a back lot um in um los angeles that is it's like a, an old ranch that is basically um used for a number of different films and uh, Christian Mingle, I think, is the most recent. But yeah, Arrested Development uh, was the same location. And then this is where George Michael wants to find out what his father thinks of Anne. And um, <laughs> I love how Michael kind of turns the conversation to almost trying to brainwash George Michael. Where he's like, uh, you know, oh, you know, I barely know her, you know. Neither of us do. She's really just some girl as far as we're concerned, right? <laughs> I, I just I just love that. And then obviously this is where uh, Michael kind of gets outdone by his son because his son is like, why don't the two of you go back in the stair car? And Michael's like, well, how about, you know, me or you? Or, um, you know, maybe an Aunt Lindsay or me and Anne. And then of course that's where George Michael goes, yes, great. And then kind of runs off. Um so, you know, George, George, I think Michael was just trying to run through the different combinations, hoping that his son wouldn't stop on the one that he didn't want. Um, and then, obviously, we find out that George Sr. had been declared dead a few days earlier. Um, something which was actually revealed in the on the next, in the previous episode. Um, and Kitty is in the church crying. <laughs> Uh, which I find to be slightly odd because I think she would realize that he's not really dead, but apparently she takes the word of the uh, the Mexican <laughs> government uh, rather than any kind of proof. And then obviously uh, this is where Ice tackles Michael, I think. Is this the first of the many tackles? This is an episode basically full of people tackling people. Um, and yeah. um, <laughs> when he says, you're Joe's friend... Ice emphatically says, not friend, bounty hunter. (laughs) And of course, for a moment, Michael considers the possibility this might be Gene Parmesan. And he's like, Gene? 
There's no way you're that good. And then, obviously, this is where Michael decides that, um, you know, he may as well just have Ice look for his father. You know, if they're paying for the bounty hunter, uh, because, you know, obviously Job's money is basically the company's money, <laughs> then why not just leave him looking for it? Um, and, of course, when he sees the blueprint, I love how Malik Yoba says, nice deck. Is that where you saw him last? She's, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, completely kind of straight-faced. Um, and I like that Michael says uh, he's much smaller in real life. <laughs> and then obviously Lindsay's interest in ice here. Michael says um, he, he's, he, he's not interested in her uh, unless she knows where dad is. And so, of course, we get this very inappropriate line from Lindsay where she says, uh, oh, yeah, thank you. No, I found my birth control pills. Thanks for asking, dad. <laughs> Which I just I just kind of I just kind of like <laughs> <laughs> how kind of obvious that is, but Ice seems to fall for it. Um, and then we get one of my favourite Bluth crosstalk scenes um, where maybe has had enough of a mother, so she puts herself in the car with Michael and she says... I'm so sick of her. The lame flirting. And then the narrator tells us... Michael, of course, thought maybe was referring to Anne. And Michael says... You know, I, I think he's going to get sick of her before it goes too far. And maybe says... Of course he will. She's a child. <laughs> Michael says... Well, that, that part's not really her fault. I, I just hate to see him wasting his time, you know? And then, you know, <laughs> they, they decide to go off. And the narrator points out... At no point were Michael and maybe talking about the same person... And there were only four people in their group. That in itself is a joke, because obviously there were five people in their group. <laughs> I love how uh, Maybe says... And it's not a race thing. <laughs> Michael goes... <laughs> yeah, whoever gets there first. <laughs> Very solid so, exchange. I feel like... Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you know... Um, <laughs> Buster finds work with Lupe's brother. It's pointed out that, that Buster it was adapting to what he thought was Mexico, but it was a town so close that they shared a paperboy, which is a nice way of defining exactly how close they were, that they're on the same paper route. Um, and then, of course, you know, Buster keeps saying about how he, he loves to be, he loves being mexican um this is where we i think we only get this is the only use of the word that's in the title where lupe's brother says we must work now amigo in a way buster also becomes an amigo so uh, the, t the title is also referring to buster and then obviously <laughs> when Lindsay arrives uh, she says you're already here and michael's like yeah we won <laughs> Which I, I love that he's committed to the he's committed yeah, yeah. to the race bit <laughs> Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, George Michael asks, did you guys have a, a, a good talk? And Michael says, yeah, a great talk. That cousin of yours is a hell of a girl. It's too bad you can't date her. No, I meant... And this causes momentary excitement with George Michael where he's like... Wait, you wouldn't have a problem with that? Nothing. <laughs> I just, I love Michael Sarah's kind of pause before he says nothing. Um, and then... <laughs> obviously they immediately realize that they've left Anne in Mexico and of course Michael as they drive frantically back he says she's going to be fine we've just got to beat the sun <laughs> <laughs> and then of course this is where Joe wonders upon you know the other half of Joe Bias uh, where Tobias explains you know he won't know until 801 
but he blew himself early and he'd be nice and relaxed for a nine o'clock dinner reservation. <laughs> and as he turns to offer that dinner reservation to Job, Job has already gone to Lindsay and he's like looking for some company. <laughs> so basically he's he's gone to almost every family member at this particular point. Uh, and obviously he finds out that Ice is, you know, back at the model home thinking that George Bluth is there. And this is where he tackles Tobias. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> such a great bit of kind of physical comedy. It is. Um, and I love... I think it's yes? indicative of the show how much business they get out of... Well, I guess the basic joke that Starla doesn't know how to use a printer properly. But <laughs> yeah. further than that, the, yeah. this one particular image, which is... First, a continuation of that joke, but also is multiple times confused for an actual blueprint. And then finally, to have it wrap up with him attacking Tobias because he (laughs) assumes that the person he's chasing is literally blue. Like, it's a lot of mileage for one little idea uh, that I think really is indicative of what the show does well. Mm -hmm. Tobias is like, um, it's an honest mistake. And I think your knee is on my heart. And then, of course... Lindsay is like, I was just hoping to have sex with you. And Tobias is like, why am I not blacking out? <laughs> which I, which also kind of plays into the fact that I think Lindsay and Tobias's relationship in this episode is actually, you know, and this season is actually better than the first season because while they're pursuing this open relationship, they actually seem a little closer. So the fact that he's, you know, he's he doesn't want to hear about what Lindsay wants to do with Ice, uh, I think he's quite funny. Um, and then, of course, Buster being completely inappropriate as he, um, you know, has his new job as a dishwasher. He says to his his new amigos, this is great. We're like slave buddies, <laughs> <laughs> which which I kind of like. And of course, when Michael arrives back in Mexico, he can't remember what Anne looked like. So he just starts walking up to girls and saying, Anne, Anne, he kind of accuses her of something. You, you know, she ran off last time we were leaving. And she's like, actually, I was here the whole time. But I also, this is where Job tackles Michael. <laughs> so we still have at least at least two more tackles left in this episode. <laughs> and, you know, when he says, flee in the country, you bastard. Michael's like, I'm still not fleeing. And I, <laughs> I love how kind of mad he is at that. And then obviously, uh, <laughs> Job is like, that's his girlfriend? Uh and he says, is she funny or something? <laughs> uh, which, knowing where that story kind of finishes, it's interesting that that's kind of Job's first assessment of, uh, of, Anne, of yeah. Anne. Yeah. And of course, because George Michael says... Yeah, way to plant, Anne. <laughs> Michael says, why don't you and plant wait in the stair car? I just, I just love how quickly Michael it, like adopts new names. Yeah, I think... Egg already is was Egg in a previous episode? Did that already happen? Yeah, Egg was the first episode. Yeah, where yeah. she was the pre, in the in the last episode where she was having a main egg. Yeah, oh. um, yeah. So he's called her Egg and Plant and Hog just in this these last two episodes. And then of course, um, <laughs> Job does his uh, chicken chicken impression because you know Michael says that's why he didn't bring him here. Um, and then obviously someone attacks Job. And um, <laughs> Michael says he's American, and of course Jean Parmesan says Americano. Just like a me, Jean Parmesan. How are you doing? <laughs> I think he rips off a fake mustache over his actual mustache. Yeah, yeah, a fake, yeah, mustache, fake mustache yeah. that's over his a real mustache. It's so great. Uh, and then of course Job gets really annoyed, going, "Jean, what the hell are you doing here?" And obviously, 
um, you know, his mother has, has sent Jean Parmesan after Job, um, and obviously Ice has been sent after Michael. So <laughs> everyone's basically ending up in Mexico. And of course, Job admits that he was looking for a friend, uh, and Jean Parmesan kind of laughs. Um, and I love how even as Jean's getting sent away, he's like, "You're on the clock." <laughs> Just like <laughs> on the clock for what? He's te- like he's technically he's not even meant to be there. This is where you know Michael sends the PI and the bounty hunter. Um, of course, you know the uh, ice tackles Michael <laughs> and uh, Job. Like didn't want to stop it because even though he could see it coming, you know, because he just wanted to see where uh, Michael's speech was going. Um, and so Michael basically pays Gene and Ice to be friends with uh, Job for the weekend, basically. Um, and then this is where Michael decides he wants to get to know Anne. And then obviously Buster is happy as a dishwasher. He decided never to go home again. And then he's already there. <laughs> um, and I love when Lucille says, I thought you were in Mexico. And Buster goes, so did I. <laughs> um, like, just how, like both of them completely, <laughs> completely incompetent. Um, and then I love the end here where Michael is kind of talking to Anne on the phone. And he's, uh, or talking to uh, George Michael, sorry. And he's like, you tell Anne to make sure she studies for Mr. Mason's Algebra 2 test. And tell her to make sure Kim Ho doesn't cheat off her this time. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Job says, wow, you've really got to know her. And he goes, well, we did spend three hours together in that car ride. And Job's like, well, what did you think? And Michael just goes, I don't like her. <laughs> uh, and that is where the episode ends. And I, I just kind of love how even after Michael has tried to get to know Anne, once he knows Anne, he doesn't really like Anne. <laughs> it's like there's nothing that she can kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get the on the next where... Um, Buster reclaims his favourite chair, uh, the hand chair, and then he, he goes in and he sees his mother and Oscar in it, and he says, make love in your own hand, mother. That line, one, I feel like doesn't really work for me, and I kind of don't like the delivery of it either. It's one of the, it's the one thing in this episode, episode that I, I kind of don't care for. Like, it seems like a bizarre... Okay. It just seems like a bizarre joke, and I don't quite like how it's done. But yeah, it feels like a weird misstep to me. I don't particularly care for that. Hmm. I mean, he's got a hand chair. Like, that's pretty weird <laughs> to start off with. And then Lucille and Oscar decide to go into Buster's room and have sex in that hand chair. So I feel like we've already got a couple of weird choices before we actually get to that line. Yeah. Um I, I, I don't know. It, it feels like that line is maybe a reference to something that I just don't understand because it just doesn't... It feels like there should be more substance to it, but it just doesn't quite work for me. It's a reference to masturbation. That's what it is. <laughs> well, fair enough, but... <laughs> I felt that was pretty obvious, but... Uh, and then... Tobias is finally in hospital, and we get... I like that we get a kind of callback to the literal Doctor in that they don't have the literal Doctor. And so obviously Lindsay is happy that they don't have the literal Doctor. Um, and Gene Parmesan says, I've got some bad news. I'm Gene Parmesan. How are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> to which Lucille squeals, he got me again. Um, and then Gene says, uh, but I did overhear that he's bleeding internally. 
And that's where the episode ends. With a really serious note from Gene Parmesan. It's like such an abrupt tonal um, and, shift. Yeah, and the oh, you know, of course, um, you know, he he does return in season four, but um, in the kind of you know in the in the original fifty three, that was his only appearance, and I, I he gets referenced a couple more times as the series goes on. Yeah. Um, but I I always like Martin Moll's performance in this particular episode. Mm. Um, so, is there anything else that we you think we need to cover about this episode, or you think we've covered it all? I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, Gene Parmesan for me is the highlight. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Highlight of the show. Yeah, I think I think the thing is because Ice gets to appear in a couple more episodes, mm. this kind of just feels like an introduction to him and the kind of the whole you know. Um, I, you know, you're not my friend. You're a client. All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that like that feels like it's a it's the straight counterpoint rather than the joke. Whereas every single time um, Gene Parmesan appears, it is literally for just one more reveal that, that kind of just makes it just one more joke after the other. Basically, it's just the same gag like four times in the episode, but it just feels so well done each time. So anyway, on the next episode of. I've made a huge mistake. I will be talking about um, good grief. We'll be we'll be talking about the the death of uh, George Senior, um, and of course we'll probably be going up to the attic for some pop pop. Um, <laughs> and I'll be talking with Daniel Ifland and Daniel uh, Doughty on that episode. So I hope you can join me for that. Uh, otherwise, uh, do you guys have anything else you wish to plug? Uh, I'm going to start with Zach. Uh, yeah, uh, probably. A couple weeks after this uh, airs, we will be resuming, um, myself and my co-host Shannon Camp, will be resuming Stage of Fools, which Darren graciously edits for us, um, uh, starting with season three. But you can listen to the first two seasons uh, on iTunes. Just go to Stage of Fools. Uh, we have a Twitter account. We have a Facebook page, all that stuff. Uh, you can find if you search Stage of Fools. Great stuff. And Brian? Uh, yeah, we mentioned The Revisionists, uh, which you can find on Twitter at RevisionPod or on Facebook or at RevisionistPodcast.com. Great stuff. Well, thanks to both of you guys for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thanks. And uh, otherwise, uh, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.